0: Hi, and welcome to a special Oral Argument Day episode of the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. Today, the Supreme Court heard three cases that will determine whether LGBT people are protected from discrimination under existing federal law. LGBT people already face high rates of discrimination and harassment in the workplace. What's more, 26 states do not have protections for LGBT people from discrimination in employment on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. But here's the deal. Brave LGBT people and their lawyers have been winning in courtrooms across the country. Five federal appeals courts have agreed that anti-trans discrimination is a form of sex discrimination that violates federal law. Two federal appeals courts, including the Second Circuit in New York, went on banc, the full court, sat down and ruled that firing someone because of their sexual orientation is unlawful. The U.S. Supreme Court should agree, but did they? The Supreme Court did release a transcript of the argument, but they do not live stream or put out same-day argument recordings. Fortunately, I'm here with Omar Gonzalez-Bagan, Omar is a friend and a senior attorney at Lambda Legal. He also serves on the board of Legal. He was in the courtroom today and is ready to give us his take on exactly what happened. But before we speak with Omar, let's tee up the conversation. This is not about the Constitution. Today's argument involved statutory interpretation, specifically Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which bars discrimination in employment on several grounds, including because of sex. Today, the Supreme Court considered whether because of sex applies to claims of discrimination because of sexual orientation or gender identity. Three cases before the court raise this question. The first is from our own backyard here in the Second Circuit, Altitude Express v. Zarda. Donald Zarda, a skydiving instructor, was fired from his job for being gay. A federal trial court rejected his discrimination claim, initially saying that the Civil Rights Act does not protect him from losing his job for being a gay man. Tragically, in October of 2014, Zarda died unexpectedly, but the case continued on behalf of his family. In February 2018, the Full Second Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that discrimination based on sexual orientation is a form of discrimination based on sex that's prohibited under Title VII. The court recognized that when an LGB person is treated differently because of discomfort or disapproval that they're attracted to people of the same sex, that's discrimination based on sex. The second case is Bostock v. Clayton County, Gerald Lynn Bostock was fired from his job as a county child welfare services coordinator when his employer learned that he was gay. In May of 2018, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals refused to consider an outdated 1979 decision wrongly excluding sexual orientation discrimination from coverage under Title VII's ban on sex discrimination and promptly denied his appeal. The third case is R.G. and G.R. Harris Funeral Homes, E.E.O.C. and Amy Stevens. For nearly six years, Amy Stevens worked as a funeral director at R.G. and G.R. Harris Funeral Homes. When she informed the funeral home's owner that she's transgender and planning to come to work as the woman she is, the business owner fired her, saying it would be unacceptable for her to appear and behave as a woman. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in March of 2018 that when the funeral home fired her for being transgender, it violated Title VII. Amy was the same capable employee before and after her transition, but she was fired because she took steps to be the woman she is. That's sex discrimination. Our communities are stronger when we can all be our authentic selves. LGBT people should be able to live and work free of bias, without facing discrimination just for who we are. Over 70% of Americans believe that it should not be legal to discriminate against LGBT people in employment. Nevertheless, the Trump administration asked the justices to overturn settled law and strip LGBT people of legal protections. The LGBT Bar Association was there in D.C. rallying on the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court and right here in New York at City Hall to give voice to all LGBT people who deserve to be able to live and work free of fear and bias without facing discrimination just for who they are. Inside was Omar gonzalez Pagan, and he is here with us now to tell us what he witnessed today during oral argument. Hi, Omar.
1: Thanks, Eric. to commute back from the sea after this historic
0: day. So you were there in the audience today, witnessing a piece of history. Tell us about what it felt like to be in the audience for these historic cases. Well, I think uh, historically
1: there were a few things that stood out. First and foremost, um, uh, we, when the moment that the justices walked out, you noticed Justice Ginsburg' bright red I around her neck.
0: You could tell that she was ready for
1: a very active argument.
0: Oh, nice. Ginsburg wearing a red doily. Um, and indeed, she was the one to
1: ask the first question. Um, and then we saw a historic moment. We had a openly lesbian Supreme Court practitioner in Planned Carlin argue on behalf of the gay employees that were fired, Donald Sarda and Gerald Bostock. And you saw two openly trans attorneys, our colleagues from the ACLU, Chase, Rangio, and David Arcall, sit at the council's table in representation of Amy Stevens at the Supreme Court. Um, I think it's a testament to the importance of visibility and representation in the profession. And it was truly a historic site. Uh,
0: Okay, so let's begin by talking about Pam Carlin, the Stanford law professor who was arguing on behalf of Gerald Bostock and Don Zarda in the sexual orientation cases before the court. How did she do? What kind of questions did she receive from the justices? Was she able to make her case effectively?
1: Well, what was interesting is that the justices, both during Pam Carlin's turn and during David Cole's turn, um, in the Stevens case, sort of intermingled all of the cases, and— um, in some ways, we can see that the justices are considering these questions, even though they were separate cases, um, jointly, and, uh, so that was something that was interesting. Pam Carlin encountered questions about access to single-sex facility and dress codes, um, even though that, those, those those were clearly not an issue, um, in the sexual orientation cases. Um, but you know we saw in Van Carlin an experienced and uh well prepared practitioner, one who brought wit and humor to her argument um, a humorous moment included when probably four or five minutes into the argument uh she had just finished answering a question, and there was a complete silence in the courtroom. No other justice interjected with another question, so it was five minutes in, and she sort of was forced to say well, if there's no more further questions, I will sit down. Um, and everybody la- laughed uh, rapidly. The just, Chief Justice Robert interjected to say, I'm sure we will come up with some, and indeed they did. But it was a moment of humor. And, and, and you saw her make witty references to the Mad Men era in the 1960s when this law was passed.
0: So how did she handle the questioning that this wasn't Congress's intent when it passed the Civil Rights Act in 1964? Well, I think that's when she made that reference to
1: the man Men era, and that's because during that time, the, it, it's certainly the reality that Congress didn't intend to cover sexual harassment either or sex stereotyping, but the Supreme Court has recognized both of those forms of discrimination to be covered by the statute because ultimately, what controls is the tax and whether an employee's tax was an issue in an employment
0: decision. When we talk about what Congress intended and how the interpretation of Title VII has evolved over the years, we think of two Supreme Court cases that are really on point when it comes to LGBT people and employment discrimination. The first is, of course, Price Waterhouse v. Hopkins. Where the court accepted the argument that an employer who discriminates against a worker because of the worker's failure to comport with gender stereotypes may violate Title VII and the second of course in the on-call case in 1998 which held that the interpretation of because of sex was not limited to the factual scenarios envisioned by Congress in 1964 and uh, there the court, uh, speaking unanimously through Justice Antonin Scalia, said that Title VII could be applied to comparable evils to those envisioned by Congress. So it's not exactly frozen in time, and the intent of Congress didn't matter then. So the initial report seemed to suggest that Justice Gorsuch may be more sympathetic to LGBT plaintiffs than we initially thought. Were you surprised? Was that true?
1: I don't think that they were that surprising.
0: I think just his
1: course asked active questioner in general. Um he's a quite polite questioner of all sides. Um, you saw him at the very least understand and and probably agree in large part in the fact that we have a very clear textualist argument and um you saw him ask definitely repeated questions around that. I mean we cannot predict how any of the justices will come out. And certainly Justice Borsuch also intimated that if, if the textual question is a close call, wondering if congressional uh, legislative history or intent matters, as well as wondering about the, uh, what he called uh, massive upheaval of should they sign in favor of the employees. So. You know, I think the questioning was balanced on his part. Um, we certainly saw that at an active bench, at least in and Breyer, Ginsburg, Kagan, and mayor. Um Justice Roberts participated somewhat, and Kevin will have only one question.
0: So what about the questioning involving social upheaval, the idea that if you prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity, it's going to shock The country, or really affect employers in some significant way, particularly when, you know, half of the states have state laws that bar discrimination on these grounds. Um, What are we supposed to think about what he was getting out at there when he asked about social upheaval? Is this a potential off ramp? Uh,
1: Yeah, I think there were a couple of moments in response to that. One, um, Justice Breyer rightly pointed out that what's at issue is to consider whether sex discrimination even happened here. Uh, And not for us to be bothered by this hypothetical situations that are not at play. Um, But I think David Cole responded quite artfully to that concern by noting that in the context of transgender status discrimination, uh, federal courts have already recognized that for over 20 years. And there has been no massive upheaval. Likewise, multiple states have enacted explicit protections for sexual orientation and gender identity. And we haven't seen any such massive appeal. Dress still exists, single sex facilities still exist. And so really it is a parade of horribles that was um, portrayed uh, by our, our opponents, one that was called as such by some of the justices and one that was addressed appropriately by the advocates.
0: So let's talk about the other side—the uh, solicitor general and counsel for the employers. Were there any effective arguments that they were able to make?
1: Well, I think I, I, I think that they certainly got um, got a little bit of traction with the idea that this would be a massive, uh, with some justices, at least with Justice Gorsuch's question, a massive change in the law. Um, I think there was the correct pushback to that. But what we saw also is that they, they couldn't divorce those ideas from their actual, from the text of the fashion. Um, and just to begin ask, for example, what you're saying is that you could hire or fire a transgender employee, regardless of whether the employer has a dress code,
0: or regardless of whether the
1: employer has able and, facilities. And they didn't have an answer for that concern, for example, where the statutes clearly applied and those hypotheticals were not applied. Uh, likewise, Solicitor General Mora Francisco was forced to concede that congressional history uh, would not be a type factor if the type of stature applied clearly in this circumstance.
0: That seems significant given that one of the major arguments that seemed to be advanced by the other side was that, oh, this, you know, couldn't have been what Congress meant and there's been congressional inaction. They've tried and passed several, tried and failed several times to pass ENDA and the Equality Act and so the need to pass a new law shows that uh, Title Seven as it exists couldn't possibly cover LGBT people. So I want to let you go because you're on the train. Can you tell us a bit, um, you know, how do you feel at this point? Were things better or worse than you expected?
1: Um, I think overall, I, I, you know, we, we've always been confident in our argument, and that's because the, the types of statute is with us. Uh, the of the Supreme court are with us and you saw that at play today, um, you know there was definitely the prospect of a divided court on this case, and uh, it will be a close call um we don't know exactly how the court will come out but i think the fact that we know that we have a fight in shame
0: so let's talk a little bit about the massive implications of this case We've seen um, James Essex and others argue that this case, well, these cases that were before the court are even bigger than the marriage equality cases because they affect so many aspects of public life for all LGBT people. Employment, of course, but then uh, Title VII informs how the court will interpret education and housing and credit and so many other areas of life for LGBT people. So. What are the consequences? Should the Supreme Court rule in favor of employers and against LGBT people? Well,
1: I think the cases that were heard today by the court are of, um, massive in court. Um, the reality is that there is an opportunity to cement existing understanding of the law, protections for LGBTQ employees across the entire country whether there are explosive protections in the States or not. And that would affect billions of lives, uh, all for the better. Um, I think the the converse of that is that you could see the court erase recognized protections by the AOC and numerous federal courts in large parts of this country. And that will have a negative effect on people. Um, The the ramifications of these decisions will be huge, and certainly uh, the focus needed to be, and was rightfully put, on the employees uh, by the advocates today. This about the lives of Amy Stevens and Gerald Bostock, about the state of Ronald Florida, and about the millions of LGBT people who are seeking to contribute
0: to society and work. So finally, can you tell us when we can expect a decision? We know sometimes when the court is really divided, as you mentioned, um, it can take them a while to decide important cases. This case was decide, was argued early, but when do we expect it to come out? Well,
1: uh, as we know, June 26th
0: is the usual game
1: where we get <laughs> decisions such as Lawrence, Winter, and uh, Obergefell. I do not believe that this decision will come out in June um, uh You know, it could be as early as a couple of months, or it could be as late as June 2020.
0: This one is going to be hard to wait for. Well, thank you, Omar, for speaking with us today. I really appreciate you taking time on the train. I hope you didn't bother your neighbors. And I'm certainly jealous that you were able to attend today. I, I am so happy you were able to witness history in the making.
1: Well, we were missed, but it was an incredible... I don't know. I'm just glad that we got to share
0: it right now on the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Omar. I appreciate you joining us today. And thank you so much for listening. I'm excited that next week we are going to be sitting down with Professor Art Leonard for our usual podcast. And I'm sure for uh, Law Notes and for the Law Notes episode of this podcast, we're going to get all of Art's insight and his reflections on what went down at the Supreme Court, and we'll all have access to oral argument by then, and I'm sure our listeners will have gone through the transcript and listened to that ad nauseum. So uh, we'll come back next week with even more to discuss. Thank you for listening.